When we put our faith in God through his only begotten son, Christ Jesus, peace that passes understanding is the outcome. The peace of the blood-bought flows as a mighty river and cannot be stopped by the world and all its devils because this river flows forth from the throne of God. Everything must work together for our good, especially the very dark and foreboding. Keep in mind that the best friend of the candle is extreme darkness. The darker the night, the more productive the candle. With our faith firmly planted in Christ Jesus, everything is ordered by God for our good. This doesn't mean a life lived without ominous giants, but it does mean that these giants can be felled with one smooth stone. 1 Peter 2, 6-9 through 9. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus Christ is that stone. The time of the end draws very close. Global circumstances will grow darker and more deadly. The only safe heaven, haven excuse me, is Jesus Christ the righteous, for he is the only name under heaven by which men can be saved. Acts 4, 10 through 12. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. In this end of times, global persecution has risen and will continue to rise up against the church. Some will even give their lives for Christ, though all of us will go through the fire and the water. Psalm 65, 12. The end is upon us. Prepare to meet your God. Dear visitor, have you yet to be born again as Jesus declared in John 3, 3? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again means exactly as it says, born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God. Dear friend, in just a moment, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt. And if you follow from your heart, everything changes for you and changes today. Today you will find peace. Today all your sin and shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today, all of Satan's bondages in your life will be broken, every single one. Today, you will be clean and free. Today, 
you will become a child of God. Here is the prop I promised. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Psalms 127, verse 2, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. God said, Hebrews 12:15, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. God said, Mark 11, 25 and 26, and when you stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Man said, imagine the lunacy. These Christian fanatics think their Jesus is the solution to every problem. Yeah, every problem, even insomnia. What silliness. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1,182, that will once again contend for the faith. All of these faith-building features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and as a platform from which to fish for the lost sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting. May God's face shine upon you with peace and truth. The world has rejected the word of God, and that's not a new thing. This M.O. of unbelief and disobedience was established in the very Garden of Eden. In the garden, Satan's words and thus his leadership were embraced, and God's words and leadership were rejected. Satan took possession of carnal man's dominion and became the little G.O.D. of the earthlings, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. All of Adam and Eve's progeny were sold into sin, thus the need for Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. All of our problems are a product of unbelief in God's word. All of our solutions are a product of faith in God's Word. Now take in this. Revelation 19.13 says of Jesus Christ, and His name is called the Word of God. The cardinal law of sowing and reaping is often cited on God said, Man said, Galatians 6.7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This principle is so childlike simple. Because the word of God is true and righteous altogether, obeying yields the blessing of doing the right thing. Because the word of God is true and righteous altogether, disobeying yields the curse of doing the wrong thing. You will always reap what you sow. Carnal man is adverse to God's do's and don'ts, but the children of the book run to them. In the do's and don'ts, you'll find a cornucopia of God's blessings, and today's feature will demonstrate this truth. The cover story of the autumn 2023 issue of New Scientist is titled, How to Beat Insomnia. The title on the multi-page feature inside is, Rest Easier, with the subhead, Insomnia is a Nightmarish Problem, but at last we know why it occurs and the best way to tackle it. Excerpts from this article follow, along with new scientists' insights and solutions. 
after God said, man said, will present the ultimate and eternal solution. Keep an ear out for the word rumination. The following is from New Scientist. The chances are that either you or someone very close to you could directly benefit from this new knowledge given how prevalent insomnia is. According to various surveys, a third of people regularly experience difficulties falling and remaining asleep. To be considered insomnia, this nocturnal unrest must occur at least three times a week over a period of more than three months, and crucially, the sleep loss must not be linked to external factors, such as a crying baby or too much partying. It must also be accompanied by impaired daytime functioning, such as fatigue, irritability, or struggles concentrating. Around 10% of the population meets these stringent criteria, though there are significant differences between men and women. Insomnia comes with a health burden. Those who experience it are at an increased risk of depression, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and Alzheimer's disease. The condition has financial implications, too. In the U.K. alone, the lost productivity due to insufficient sleep is equivalent to 1.7 million working hours per year, amounting to an economic hit of $50 billion. In the U.S., 9.9 million working hours are lost each year, equating to $411 billion uh, that blow out of the economy. Uh, these figures suggest insufficient sleep is costing these countries roughly 2% of their GDP. So what can we do about it? Earlier this year, Andre Cipriani at the University of Oxford and his colleagues examined the published evidence on 30 sleeping pills with a comprehensive meta-analysis of more than 150 clinical trials. The research team decided that in order for any candidate medication to be considered effective, it should act relatively quickly, within one month, and provide relief for at least three months while being well tolerated. The results were disappointing. In total, just two of the 30 medications were shown to provide both short- and long-term relief. One of those, escopiclone, boosts the actions of an amino acid called GABA, which inhibits electrical signaling in neurons. The second, lambraxant, blocks the action of the neuropeptide orexin, which makes neurons extra excitable. Both medications are approved for use in the U.S., but not yet in the U.K. If pills aren't necessarily the answer for people with insomnia, neither are overly simplistic behavioral interventions. There are ways to really make a difference, though. Psychologists now know that they must pay greater attention to the underlying mental processes that lead to insomnia. Since the 1990s, this has been a major research focus, and the efforts are starting to pay dividends. Much of this research has centered on the idea that people with insomnia experience hyperarousal fueled by ruminative thoughts that leaves them feeling anxious and physically on edge. This makes it harder to get to sleep at bedtime and may prevent them from entering a deep slumber, leaving more likely to awake up during the night. This picture of a ruminative brain going into overdrive also chimes with work published last year by Yishu Wee at the Netherlands Institute of Neuroscience in Amsterdam and his colleagues. They found that the brain activity 
of someone with insomnia is generally more fixed, so less able to vary. This inertia might help explain the tendency for those with insomnia to lock in the fixed patterns of negative, repetitive thoughts, concluded the researchers. As you might expect, ruminative thinking may be particularly harmful if the anticipation of sleep itself is the subject of these thoughts, putting someone in a state of high arousal at the very time they need to be relaxing. There is also evidence that people with insomnia show heightened activity in the amygdala, another brain area responsible for processing emotions, if anything even reminds them of sleep. Even more importantly, excessive worrying about sleep loss and its consequences seems to worsen the daytime symptoms of insomnia, which include fatigue and problems concentrating. One tried and tested solution is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It's classified as CBTI. When it is carried out in person, this typically takes place over four to six sessions during which a therapist will discuss strategies to break free of rumination when it occurs. Rather than willing themselves to sleep, for example, the person may be told to direct their thoughts to staying awake. Overall, more than 70% of people show improved sleep after CBTI, and 40% go into remission from their insomnia, according to a recent review. Automated therapy has some obvious limitations over face-to-face encounters. The human relationship is very important, says Capriani, but the results of a recent trial showed that these technological approaches are worth pursuing. Take ESPY's app, Sleepio, for example. This provides a six-week CBTI course with an AI algorithm uh, that helps to tailor the app to the patient's behavior uh, reported through an online sleep diary or recorded through wearables. In May, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, which gives guidance on which treatments doctors should use in England and Wales, recommended that Sleepio should be made freely available on the National Health Service in their countries based on data from 12 recent trials. EPSI says that the remission rate in one study was greater than 70%. Over my career, all we've ever been able to give people is pills, you know, so this is a real breakthrough moment, he says, end of quote. One issue just addressed was the anxiety one experiences when he or she can't get to sleep. In most cases, this infrequent event is not insomnia, but rather a common human occurrence. A brother in Christ came to me with this issue looking for some godly advice. I put together seven steps I have found exceedingly beneficial. One, when occasional sleeplessness happens to me, I remember to call it a blessing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Give thanks. Number two, remember that your mind works 24 hours a day. The subconscious, which is thousands of times stronger than the conscious, functions in a very businesslike fashion, regulating heartbeat, blood pressure, breathing, digestion, dreams, the consolidation of thoughts, and so much more. So don't fret. If your conscious mind is alert, give thanks. Number three, relax. You're in bed with your eyes closed. Your mind is alert, but your body is fully at rest. You are not digging a ditch. 
Enjoy the comfort of that physical repose. Your body is sleeping. Give thanks. Number four, do not fret, but give thanks. Here I talk to God, and I listen a lot. It's a beautiful time. I am being renewed. Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Give thanks. Number five, I thank God and ask him to multiply my sleep. He can turn minutes into hours. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Allow God to arise. Release him in your life with your childlike faith and give thanks. Number six, our Lord Jesus Christ rose up early before the disciples to seek God's face. At least once, he prayed and communed with God all night long. In the quiet time, great spiritual and eternal things can be accomplished, so give thanks. Number seven, give thanks. You are being renewed, refreshed, and refocused. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31 even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. A sentence quoted earlier from New Scientist bears repeating. Much of this research has centered on the idea that people with insomnia experience hyperarousal fueled by ruminative thoughts. The solution to all of life's problems is Jesus Christ, and insomnia will be no exception. A portion of the God Said, Man Said feature, Deadly Rumination, It Must Stop, follows. Self-examination is critical to the child of God. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? It is my responsibility to judge myself and not others. I'm not talking about self-condemnation, but rather godly conviction under correction and under profession. This is our job. Consider these sobering verses in Psalms 50, 16, and 17. But unto the wicked, God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction, and casteth my words behind thee? Verse 16 begins, But unto the wicked. These individuals talk of God's word and take the promise, the covenant of salvation in their mouth, that cast off the instructions and restrictions of God's word. I purposefully won't know individuals by name that I would lump into this group, but I know of that spirit that prevails amongst the church, and it has infiltrated by a large proportion. May God have mercy on you and me that we don't fall into that number. First John chapter 2, verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I went to visit a middle-aged woman, she was a confessing Christian, who was in the hospital. She immediately began her life story, highlighting all they that had harmed her along the way. She relived the angst and the trauma associated with each individual event or person, stacking one upon another. 
This woman was bound by the spirit of unforgiveness, something the medical world knows as rumination, and she filled the room with a thick darkness of despair and hopelessness. I have been a pastor for many years, and in those many years I have noted that a heavy spirit of unforgiveness has taken up habitation in the hearts of many confessing Christians. This is such a terribly dangerous place. Jesus makes this amazing promise in Mark eleven twenty two through 24. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Hallelujah! That's marvelous, everyone exclaims. But what about verses 25 and 26? And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven Forgive your trespasses. If I do not forgive, I am not forgiven. Wow, that's sobering. If one confesses the Lord Jesus Christ, laying hold on all the great promises of the covenant, yet harbors, gives place to the spirit of unforgiveness, that spirit makes the promises void. Some of you visiting today have a spirit of unforgiveness dwelling in your heart. You are in a constant state of jeopardy, but that will change today if you follow the simple instructions coming up in a few minutes. If I don't forgive, I am not forgiven. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I must forgive if I want forgiveness. Matthew six fourteen and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, 
O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Luke six thirty five and 36, 37, 38. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the thankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. It is clear. If you want to be forgiven, you must forgive, and even love your enemies, and seek their good. There is no place for evil rumination. We were first called Christians, meaning followers of Christ, at Antioch, Acts 11.26. And this is the example the King of Glory left. He's being crucified on Calvary's tree, Luke 23.34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. The young brother Stephen was being stoned to death for the testimony of Jesus Christ. His response is recorded in Acts 7, 59 and 60. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen prayed for his enemies. The man who authorized the stoning at whose feet the murderers laid their coats was Saul of Tarsus. This Saul of Tarsus, after a miraculous conversion, became Paul the Apostle. Forgiveness is not optional in the house of faith. This cardinal verse will always be true. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If I reject the ordinances of the book and continue on in the spirit of unforgiveness, I will reap the curse of doing the wrong thing, and this is the eternal curse of God's unforgiveness. The medical community knows the spirit of unforgiveness is rumination. The following excerpts are from the Innovations in Clinical Neuroscience. Rumination is a form of preservative cognition that focuses on negative content generally past and present and results in emotional distress. Initial studies of rumination emerged in the psychological literature, particularly with regard to studies examining specific facets of rumination, as well as the presence of rumination in various psychiatric syndromes, e.g. depression, alcohol misuse, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and bulimia nervosa. 
Rumination studies are now emerging in the somatic, meaning relating to the body, of literature, particularly in relationship to pain. In these studies, rumination appears to be associated with symptom magnification as well as poor clinical outcomes. While still a nascent field, the assessment and treatment of rumination as primary care and primary care setting is beginning to unfold. In highlighting the differences between rumination and worry, Nolan Hoeksema et al. state that rumination tends to be anchored around the sustained processing of negative material, whereas worry tends to be anchored around the sustained processing of uncertainty. The content of rumination tends to be more focused on the past and or present, whereas worry tends to be more focused on the future. The content of rumination may be condensed into a distinct theme of loss, whereas the content of worry tends to condense into themes of anticipated threats. Concerning rumination and pain, the largest number of clinical studies in this somatic area are those examining relationships between rumination and pain, and most have studied pain populations with the Pain Catastrophizing Scale, PCS. The PCS has three underlying, uh, underlying excuse me, components, rumination, helplessness, and magnification, and in studies, rumination is oftentimes the most germane. As for studies using the PCS, Sullivan Bishop, and Pivak examined 425 Canadian undergraduate students, and as expected, higher scores on this scale exhibited more negative attitudes toward pain, greater emotional distress, and greater pain intensity. End of quote. The spirit of unforgiveness eats the one who is given to it alive. Unforgiveness spawns bitterness. Hebrews 12:15 looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Dr. Andrew Newberg, with co-author Mark A. Waldman, wrote the book, How God Changes Your Brain. At the time of publication, Dr. Newberg was the director of the Center for Spirituality and the Mind at the University of Pennsylvania and one of the founders of the new interdisciplinary field called Neurotheology. Mr. Waldman is an associate fellow at the Center for Spirituality and the Mind, a therapist, and the author and co-author of 10 books. The following is from the book, How God Changes Your Brain. I want to bring up an important but often overlooked point. What you choose to meditate upon or pray for can do more than change your brain. You can damage it, especially if you choose to focus on something that makes you frightened or angry. In psychology, this is called rumination, and it is clearly hazardous to your health. In a Stanford brain study, people who focused on negative aspects of themselves or on a negative interpretation of life had increased activity in their amygdala. This generated waves of fear, releasing a torrent of destructive neurochemicals into, uh, chemicals, excuse me, into the brain, end of quote. Several months ago, a brother and I were ministering the baptism of the Holy Ghost to a young gentleman. After he was instructed in the scriptures, we laid hands upon him, and I said, Brother Jack, not his real name, 
Receive ye the gift of the Holy Ghost. My ministering brother and I began to speak in unknown tongues, and for about five seconds we waited for the young man to step out of the boat and enter in. However, he did not. We stopped, and I asked Jack if he had unforgiveness in his heart against anyone or anything. Jack responded that he did. It took about five minutes for Jack to confess and to be set free of the blocking spirit. We laid hands on Jack again, and he immediately received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jack began to speak in other tongues, just as they did on the day of Pentecost. Remember that spirits have lips, hands, teeth, and feet. Angels are ministering spirits. The cursed spirit of unforgiveness devours individual lives and entire families. If you are participating, this must stop. The rumination must stop. Just like Jack, we're going to smash the spirit of unforgiveness and bitterness in five minutes or less. We will begin by taking authority over the spirit of unforgiveness. If you are dealing with this issue, the following prayer of authority is yours, and it's for you personally. Receive this deliverance now. Here it is. I'm going to speak this over you. Thou spirit of unforgiveness and rumination, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to loose this child of God right now. Come out of this vessel and do not return. That spirit of unforgiveness is gone. Now apply the seven steps of deliverance. Number one, ask God to forgive you for giving place to the evil spirit of unforgiveness. Now, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 applies. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Number two, think of the person or persons one by one. The person you need to forgive can even include yourself. Now confess with your mouth the individual's name, and as you speak the name, say, I forgive you in Jesus' name, and in his name I love you and will seek your good. Number three. Now speak. Thank you, Father, for breaking the dark spirit of unforgiveness and setting my captive soul free. Number four. In the faith, they are known as gospels. Using a three-by-five card, write each verse below on a card. Mark 11, verse 25 and 26, one verse on each card. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 15. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. Now, take, read these gospels with a glass of living water several times a day until all symptoms are gone. You will renew your mind. Number five, never speak ill of the person you have forgiven again. Jeremiah 31, 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. It is ungodly to hold on to that bitter memory. Number six. Avoid being drawn into rumination with others who are bound by the spirit of unforgiveness from which you have been delivered. Admonish them in the word. Consider the following from the God said men said feature God's brain and harnessing the placebo. Doubters, incessant moaners, and other types of pessimists, according to doctors Brennan and Charnetsky in their book Feeling Good is Good for You, 
should be avoided like any kind of contagious problem because pessimism is a psychologically contagious disease. In God's system of mind control, these mindsets are commanded against, and yes, they are of nocebo kin. End quote. Number seven. Stop now and consider your marvelous deliverance. With appreciation, shout, Hallelujah, I am free. The rumination must stop, and for you, it has. When the spirit of unforgiveness is destroyed, God will begin to restore what the enemy has destroyed. God's word is true and righteous altogether, a place to build a life that will last forever. God said, Psalms 127, verse 2, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. God said, Hebrews 12, 15, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. God said, Mark eleven twenty five and 26, And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Man said, Imagine the lunacy. These Christian fanatics think their Jesus is the solution to every problem. Yeah, every problem, even insomnia. What silliness. Now you have the record.